Some of you have been doing some absolutely amazing work for the kingdom of God with your time, with your talents, and with your treasures. And some of you have just entered into the kingdom of God. And you're new to this whole thing. And you don't yet know what it looks like or feels like to bring the kingdom of God around you. Some of you are watching from a distance, not yet in, wondering if this whole thing is real and if it's true. And then some of you, you've been in the kingdom for a bit and you haven't yet engaged with your time, talent, and treasure where you live, work, and play and in the church for the kingdom of God. And so the question today is what happens when those who have bled for the kingdom of God to come watch as those stand by comfortable like spectators watching the kingdom of God come? What happens when someone for decades is giving their life for God and they see others who have just simply arrived without a scratch, both receiving the same gift of grace, this eternal reward that begins even now. The same gift of eternal life is given to Peter, who, I mean, the guy was crucified upside down because he didn't think it was good enough for him to simply die the same way that his Lord and Savior Jesus died. What happens when Peter meets the thief on the cross, this famous thief who wasted his life away, yet at the last hour receives grace and then finds his way into paradise? What hap what's it going to be like for Peter as he sees this thief get the same gift that he receives. That's what we're going to figure out today. We're looking at the parable of the owner and the laborers. And just before this parable, we see the story of the rich young ruler. And Jesus says, do you want eternal life to the rich young ruler? And he says, yes. He says, okay, it's one thing for you to do. Sell all that you have, give the money away, and follow me. And this rich young ruler cannot do it. He can't. He doesn't. And Peter says, hey, God, or hey, Jesus, I did it. Did you see me? Am I going to be first? Am I going to be there at the top? And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I got a story for you. And then he says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, it's, a, it's an amount of money, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard sent to, said to the foreman, call all the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last 
up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. First point, the parable. In the ancient Middle East, if someone did not have work, they would try to become a day laborer and they would hang out at this specific location, the marketplace, and wait for people to come and hire them. And what would happen is, like, take this vineyard owner, for example. Normally, a vineyard owner would send the manager to go and find the workers. But in our parable, we see that the owner himself, very strange, goes himself to go and find the workers. And the average average amount paid for a day of labor is one denarius. But that is typically for a regular worker, not a day laborer. This is a generous amount. So he hires the workers, they jump in the back of the truck or the donkey cart or whatever it is that you did then, and they make their way to the vineyard, and they arrive. And they get there, and they look out the vineyard, getting ready to either pick the grapes or plant them and to produce some fine wine, and they're excited, and they're thinking to themselves, okay, if I work hard enough, maybe I could become a permanent worker. And so with joy, they begin working. And then they look up and the owner is leaving and they wonder, where is this owner going? And so, again, the owner goes out to look for more laborers. There are those who are sitting by idle. They're doing nothing. And so he gives them work as well, except the amount of wages is not talked about. It's starting to build the tension in the story here. And then three hours later, the vineyard owner goes out again and then a fourth time. And at this point, it's surprising that anybody is waiting for work because at 12 noon, Normally, everybody's out. Like, no one's going to hire us. We're back to not have work. And then the last hour, there's one hour left for work. The owner goes out one last time. And the fact that he finds anyone shows the desperation that these men are under. Perhaps their family needs to be provided for with some food. So they get hired. They start the day... They start the work at the end of the day, and then the time comes for pay, and the manager goes, and he begins to pay them, the last first, and he gives the the ones who worked one hour a whole denarius, and then we see that these 12-hour workers, they're like in the back whispering, like, oh, do you think we're going to get 12 denarius? This is going to be amazing, and then they step up, they put their hand out to be paid, and they receive one denarius. And one of the workers, 12-hour worker, says, ah, we got to talk to the owner. Something's wrong. This is not the right amount. Those who worked one hour are being paid the same amount that we are being paid. I demand to see the owner of the vineyard. 
So the owner steps up. He says, what is wrong, my friend? This is not fair. And he says, well, can I not do what I choose to do with what is mine? Why are you jealous over my generosity to others? Do they not have great needs as well? Now, this is not a story about trying to figure out how to be the one-hour worker. This is not a story about the four-hour work week. This is a story about having meaningful work. And it's not a story about everybody being paid the same no matter what their time or talent that's put in. It's a story about joyful work. It's a story about shocking grace that will amaze some and infuriate others. It's a story about what it's like, the temptation that a guy like Peter would feel after he bleeds for the kingdom of God and then he sees someone waste their whole life away and at the last hour, they receive grace. It's a story where people are paid in the opposite order so that our hearts can be exposed. So let's expose our hearts. This is our next point. You're the owner in your work. So the first thing this means is we all are unemployed workers who long for the owner of the vineyard to come and give us some meaningful work to do. Work is good. We're made to work. Work is not a product of the fall. It's not a product of the curse. It's not a product of sin. There was work in Eden, and it was creative work. It was exciting work. Adam and Eve had a really important job, the naming of things. To name something is like this is is the stuff of parents, and they are called to have dominion over all the earth. They're like kings and queens, and that same job has been handed down to us today to be like kings and queens who take responsibility for all the earth. And everyone in it. And care for them like parents would, like kings and queens would. And so work in and of itself is good. And it's eternal. Which means for all of eternity you will be working. It will be good work, joyful work. You will be exploring eternity. All the mysteries of it, the far reaches of I don't know what we'll be doing, maybe traveling through space. I don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to be awesome and it's going to be good and it's going to be exciting and it's going to be meaningful. And you're going to love every minute of it because you were made to work. Work is hard now because of the fall. And it's hard now because we are meant to bring order And our world is postured towards chaos. If you have kids, they will remind you of that often. Your house will constantly be dirty and you will constantly try to be order to it. And you will most likely fail in that. Because your kids are determined to bring chaos. And guess what? It's good for you. They're giving you something to do because you're made to work. Thank your kids for that. What the owner of the vineyard is doing is rescuing people from a life of meaninglessness, from a purposeless life. And he's giving them the most meaningful work that could be given. The planting and the reaping of of these grapes that will produce fine wine, this represents the planting and reaping of the kingdom of God. 
So here's what it means for you. Every single one of you are eagerly waiting for the master of the eternal house, the master of the eternal house to come and give you work that is joyful and meaningful and has purpose in it. It has worth in it. Now, it's not that the work gives you value and worth and meaning. It's that you are made in the image of God, which means you already possess value and worth and meaning. And now you crave, you long to express what you already are through building the kingdom, through work that is done. You've grown for it because you're made for it. You know, you spend one-third of your life at your job. One-third sleeping, one-third playing or something, and then one-third working. Now, some of you are depressed at what I just told you. It does not have to be that way. But you're going to need a shift in your mindset. Now, maybe you need to have another job. I don't know. But I bet every single one of us need a shift in our mindset about our work. Work isn't evil. It's good, noble, honorable, and it's eternal. And right now, work is hard. As Genesis says, it's, there's thorns. It's biting you when you work. You're looking for purpose, and you reach down. If you find it, you lift up your hand like, I found it, but your hand is a bit bloodied. Because we're in a world that is craving chaos. But if you can change your mindset and think about your job as a place where you could bring the kingdom of God, well, you're going to make up, wake up with a little bit more joy because you know you can expand the kingdom of God. But it's a new mindset. You have to think, I'm going to work to plant the flowers of heaven. I'm planting oaks of eternity, and I'm building the very city of God here and now. And, you know, if you're depressed... One of the best things you could do for your depression is find a purpose that is greater than yourself. So if you, I mean, you think about it. someone who's truly depressed. I mean, they're, they're, they're contemplating taking their life. Now, I want you to think about this. My guess is that someone who is really in that desperate situation, if all of a sudden there is like a lion that's prowling, behind the bushes, and it pops out and chases after that person, they're going to run. And I'm not saying that to make light of depression. I'm saying it because maybe you need some lions in your life to fight, after, fight against. Maybe you need a purpose that's bigger than you. Something challenging, but meaningful. So here's what you've got to do. You have to find the chaos that your job tackles and how you bring order through your job. You have to find the problem that you are solving at work. You have to find how your job can make someone's life a bit better. And then your job will be infinitely more rewarding because now you're going to be making the connection behind how your job helps to bring the kingdom of God in this place. This Bible verse that says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
That means you face what is evil. You don't run from it. And you overcome that evil with something good that you are doing. And the evil of chaos is far bigger than you. But you face it anyways. And if you'll face it, it's going to force you to sharpen yourself up. It's going to force you to do everything you can to grow. And it's going to be thrilling because you're becoming more of what you're supposed to become. There is purpose in working to provide for your family. That is a good thing to do. But don't stop there. Find the ways that you can bring the kingdom of God wherever you live, work, and play. And then you say, David, okay, well, I work with numbers. So you're saying, I need to find the dragon of chaos and slay that dragon. Well, how am I supposed to do that with numbers? I don't know. You're the one working with numbers. (laughs) But there is beauty in numbers. There's symmetry in numbers. And you got to be solving someone's problem or else you wouldn't have a job. you got to be bringing some type of beauty into this world or else you wouldn't have a job. So identify what it is. Come and talk to me. We can figure it out. Go to your discipleship groups and you can figure it out there a bit. And then, parents, begin training your kids now in how to slay the dragon of chaos. Train them to face evil and overcome evil with good. There's a problem I think that my generation of parents have is that we're overprotecting our children. And in doing that, they're not going to be prepared to build the kingdom of God, which means they're going to live a life that feels meaningless because they're not prepared to do that which they were created to do. So we've got to start equipping them and preparing them now. And it requires a bit of wisdom because we do need to protect them. So when do we like push them out a little bit, out the door, okay, come back. We gotta, we gotta have a lot of wisdom. And when do we know when it's time to give them their own sword and slay the dragon of chaos? Requires wisdom, but we have to prepare them for it. We've gotta be making the moves because true love realizes that there is a time where you have to release those that you love into their purpose, into their destiny. That's what true love is. And so prepare them for it now. And that means if you want to be able to help your kids do this, you have to know how to do it as well. Which means we have to at some point open up the door, leave our comfort behind, and face the dragon of chaos. We have to face the lion of death, you might say. We have to work to bring some good into this world. And if we will learn to face things that are bigger than us, we will sharpen ourselves. And we'll be sharpened by God and we will grow. And then we'll be somebody that people could say that someone is worth following. But we've got to start facing things bigger than us in order to do that. We're made to learn to put our gloves on and face off against chaos. We're made to join God and bring beauty up out of the ashes. In the name, the grove, it comes from Isaiah 61. It says... And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and they will rebuild the ruined cities. Rebuild the ruined cities. This is Christians, the church today. 
we are meant to rebuild all the cities of the world. That's a big job. We've got to take it. He can come up and preach if he wants to. Hand it off. You guys love that joke. I always do that, and you always laugh. But you've got to also learn to rest in Christ because there's, there's a couple problems that you probably have. Either you're exhausted because you're not resting in Christ, so you go to work and you're just exhausted and you're, you're no use to anybody there that way. Or you're not finding purpose in your work. And there is, an, there is something. I mean, if you do meaningless work, it will absolutely exhaust you. It will drain you. It's like pushing up a boulder up a hill and letting it come back down and doing it again. It's torture. And so there's two things you've got to do. You've got to learn how to rest in Christ and then work out of rest with your cup full, not empty. But you've also got to find purpose in your work or you will be drained of all the rest that you've just found. And know that there is meaning. The, look, the resurrection means that everything that you're doing now can matter for all of eternity. What you're doing now can echo on into eternity. You can be building the kingdom of God now, and it doesn't fade. It doesn't crumble. It stays. Which means the things that you are doing right now in building the kingdom of God will last for eternity. And you can look in eternity future at everything that you built here on the earth and say, look at that. It lasted. That's pretty cool. But when the day is, oh, and, and by the way, also get good at celebrating your work. Because if the resurrection is true, then you should be able to come home from your day knowing you did something that mattered and take a deep, satisfying breath and say, that was a good day. And then you can celebrate. You know, one-third work and one-third play. Well, if you're not working, if you're not feeling satisfied with your work, you're probably not going to feel satisfied with your play either. you got to find purpose. And when the day is done, if you start keeping score, if you start comparing what you have done to others, and if you've done more, and trust me, you will find a way that you have done more. Even if you've done less, you'll say, oh, I suffered more. I have a good reason for doing less. And so you're going to elevate yourself. You've got to be careful because that's spiritual pride. You're going to lose the delight of your work because you're going to see others receiving the same. This is a parable about those who are overpaid for their work. Overpaid. None of you feel like you're overpaid. You are in the kingdom of God. That's all of us. The owner pays such a generous amount. It's nothing. It's too big for your pay grade. The wages are beyond your skills. The owner in the story gives them a denarius a day, all of them. Especially that one hour worker. But either way, it's generous. Entry into the kingdom is not merit-based. It's 100% grace-based. And as soon as you start saying something like, this isn't fair. If you're like Peter saying, oh, I've outworked this person. You're forfeiting grace. And you're asking for something that is fair. And I'm going to tell you right now, you do not want what is fair. Fair is the path to hell. 
As soon as you ask for something that's fair, you are reaping coals on your head. As soon as you ask for what is fair, there is a fire that is lit underneath your feet. Not in a good way. And that means if you're a jealous person, are you jealous? You are a little bit. If you're a jealous person, if you see someone else do well and you feel something in you like, ugh. Well, you're kind of craving something that's fair because you feel like you deserve something that you're not getting and you feel like they don't deserve what they're getting. They're getting too much and you're getting too little. And now you're craving for fairness and you're losing grace. It's slipping through your fingers and it's going to start changing you and you're going to become bitter and you're going to be this like Christian that no one wants to be around because you've lost sight of what grace is. I mean, he's not going to let you go. But, man, nobody wants to be around you. Everybody wants to let you go. Christ is like the last person holding on to you. Because you wanted what was fair. This is Jesus' point to Peter. And by the way, that's grumbling to the owner of the vineyard. The owner who saved you. The owner who rescued you. Who gave you a purpose. This is... Jesus' point to Peter, Peter was arguably the hardest worker for the kingdom of God. I told you earlier, he was crucified upside down. He was always outdoing everybody. That's what stirred the story on. Peter wanted to know what Jesus was going to give him for what he did. Jesus' point to him is there's nothing greater to be received how do you get more, Peter, if you have the eternal, everlasting, bliss-filled life that's filled with ecstasy for all of eternity? You're going to be exploring the wonders of eternity, the wonders of time and space forever with God himself. You want more, Peter? There is nothing more. Am I not enough? Or is it this, Peter? Do you want less for everybody else? Would you prefer them in hell? Or maybe just outside of hell? Maybe just a little bit worse than you? Don't you pity those who need saving, Peter? Or would you rather them be in the depths and darkness? You see, it's very easy if you are passionate about seeing the kingdom of God come. If you're giving time, your talent, your treasure, your enemy, your energy, all of it. You're just fighting for it to come. And you look around at people who are just sitting idle, not putting the work in. You say, well, God, aren't you so thankful, God, for me? Like, wow. You see them, God? And then you end up finding that this last temptation that you have to face is they receive the same reward, the same gift, grace. It's nothing greater. And you're going to say, but God, look, look at what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. Good job. Well done. Am I not enough? God says. We're missing the mark. 
here's what we should be thinking. If you're the 12-hour worker, if you're bleeding for the kingdom of God, you should be looking at the one-hour worker with pity because they wasted their life. You got to spend your whole life building this precious gift of the kingdom of God where you live, where you work, and where you play, and you're going to get to see everything you did for all of eternity displayed. Don't be jealous of them. Pity them. Yes, you're going to be doing hard work. And yes, when you reach down and you find the hard work of finding your purpose and your hand is bloodied from finding that purpose and fighting for it, it's good. I mean, you can look at your scars and you can remember one who was scarred more, who had the greater scars. And I want to tell you this, being last is the best. Because think about, think about, perhaps you were one of the 12-hour workers, and you say to the owner, hey, I've got a friend who could really use some work. And then the owner goes and gets that friend at the last hour. You've been praying for that friend. You've been fighting for that friend. And the owner comes back with him. You get to watch your friend's face, the delight that they get to experience as they receive grace in all of its riches. You get to experience it. So try to be last so you get to watch the joy that has come from all of the work that you have done, all of the generosity of the owner, and watch entry into the kingdom of God as the gates open up. The angels are singing, and it's amazing. You get to watch it. Your jealousy is saying, Christ, withhold Withhold grace from them. Take it away from them. Last point, the wage earner. The wages, the true wages of your sin is death. The true wages of your sin is death. Christ, though, took what we deserved and then gave us what he deserved. That is mercy. That is grace. That is generosity. That is not what is fair. He came into our world and did the eternal work. And when the dragon of chaos was chomping at the bit to come after you, when the fire is coming out of his nose or whatever dragons do, when that's happening and then the, the lion of death is about to come and pounce on you, he steps in front of you. And he endures hell. He takes the dragon that was meant for you, the lion of death that was meant for you, and he's swallowed up. And for three days he endures an eternity of hell because that is what was for us. The fire was kindled for you and he made it his. That is not fair, but that is gracious and that is merciful. His, his blood is the wine, the grapes that you are harvesting by faith. He was buried into the earth and he rose up as the good wine. And he gives life that intoxicates us with grace. 
So the harvest has come. Take and eat and share it with all of your friends and begin just doing the work to build the kingdom of God and just have purpose and meaning flood into your life. Stop waiting. Just start doing. Let's pray. Father, help us become people who don't keep score, who don't hold records of right and wrong, who aren't worried about being taken advantage of, but help us become people who joyfully run to build the kingdom of God around us. Give us the energy for it. Give us the wisdom for it. Give us the love that will keep us enduring. And give us faith that makes us steadfast. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.